role of creativity in a flourishing educational environment has been understudied, has been underappreciated, has been in some ways stymied by these policies. And I do feel like we're in a, in a bit of a turning point. Welcome to How to Have Kids Love Learning, where we explore ideas and strategies for parents and educators that help students thrive. I'm your host, Ed Madison. I'm a professor and researcher at the University of Oregon and serve as executive director of the Journalistic Learning Initiative, a nonprofit organization that empowers middle and high school students to discover their voice, improve academic outcomes, and become self-directed learners through project-based storytelling. Teaching students to become effective communicators is at the heart of JLI's work. Well, I'm pleased uh, today to be speaking with Dr. Ross Anderson, who's an educational researcher and strategist. He's the co-founder of the Creative Engagement Lab, which promotes creativity and agency among educators and students. His research specifically looks at how factors create equitable, engaging, and aspirational learning environments. Ross and I have known each other for years and have collaborated on some of the work that we do through our journalistic learning initiative. And also we've co-authored uh, uh, peer-reviewed uh, journal articles. And we're just so glad to have you here today. Ross, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, it's great yeah. to be here. I think a, a a place to start this conversation um, in terms of just the whole notion of creativity. Um, I think it's fair to say that, you know, during the sort of 90s era of No Child Left Behind, um, you know, things like music and art um, kind of just got um, set aside uh, with more emphasis on traditional ways of, of thinking about how, you know, what counts um, academically. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. what, what, what's your, your sense of that and narrative and also what called you to kind of really focus in on creativity? Yeah, great questions. Um, yeah, I think the No Child Left Behind era, um, I mean, I feel like we're still in it. You know, we've got a new accountability policy um, that does ask for uh, well-rounded education as a stipulation for states to be fulfilling their obligations and um and that inside of a well a well-rounded education uh you know there is space in there for the arts for other creative endeavors like inside of career and technical education um but that is new and so there was a nice you know almost 20 year period there 15 year period um where we were i think collectively responding to a narrowing in on literacy skills and numeracy skills that are testable, that um, can be developed through, you know, theoretically rote memorization and, and skill building and, and uh, you know, just uh, double dosing on, on, on these um, kind of isolated skills. And the tricky thing is that um, a lot of that policy, as is often the case, is not theory-based. Theory it's not theory-driven. So if we are going to develop these skills, uh, the way that that 
that plays out, that policy plays out, and that approach plays out is that uh, we have to hold teachers accountable, give teachers um, the kind of like step-by-step guidance on how to do it, um, and assume it's kind of this like, uh, you know, like dosage issue. It's like, we just got to give more dosage of this to students and they're going to improve their scores. Well, it didn't really play out that way. And I, I do hesitate to like, um, couch all of the problems inside of like test-based accountability. Cause I, I think it actually does really address, a, it has addressed and was in, intended to address really important equity issues. You know, we had a lot of schools that were not serving black and brown students or students who were marginalized with other socioeconomic factors. And they, we, we were letting it happen as a system and it wasn't being called out. And so I think one of the things that's cool is that like, when you look at these policies, um, yes, they did cost us a lot of money and they continue to, that has been now removed from things like the arts. So all the funding that we put towards testing and this regimen of testing is, um, has to be taken from somewhere. And that's one of the major issues. But what I think does exist is a, a series of constraints like any other system where people can be very creative inside of. And the, the role of creativity in a, a flourishing educational environment um, has been understudied, has been underappreciated, has been in some ways stymied by these policies. Um, and I do feel like we're in a, in a bit of a turning point. Um, so it's exciting to know that, um, for instance, uh, and I, and I, and I like have like a few little pieces of hardcore evidence around this, like, you know, this huge program of funding called education, innovation, research, millions of dollars of funding. Um, it's the first time ever in 15 years of grant writing that I have ever seen in a legislative document, the word creativity mm. ever. So like, more, you know, that one of the stipulations inside of the goals, inside the aims, inside the priorities that um, you had to fit inside of was more creative learning. Mm -hmm. And it's the first time I've ever seen that. So, you know, maybe, I don't know what that's from. I, I think that it's a little administration to administration. But the other thing is that, you know, these, the most recent um, index of skills that employers across the world want and need in their employees, the most recent index uh, had creativity at the very top. And then inside of the rest of those 10, uh, other aspects of being creative, such as uh, cognitive flexibility, being able to think flexibly, um, you know, being able to uh, collaborate and problem solve with, with people in a, in a successful way, which is, requires a lot of creativity. Um, you know, it's, it's living inside of this index of what we need societally and globally. Um, and maybe that's filtering down a little bit into our educational um, priorities and national mm -hmm. sensibility. Um, mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, that's I, yeah. Yeah. When I think about this, you know, it, it reminds me of the, the story of Steve Jobs is told so often uh, where, um, you know, we had the introduction of technology that was PCs and it was very um, kind of almost, um, you know, mm. green blinking <laughs> icons or whatever. And because Steve Jobs wandered into a, a calligraphy class, um, mm. you know, uh, that that he had this notion of 
of, of being able to have all different kinds of fonts, you know, like what, what a novel idea, right? <laughs> you know, uh, and that created a whole uh, democratization of digital publishing and allowed for graphic arts and companies mm-hmm. like Adobe and companies like that, that, that had it not, and it's not to say that someone else might not have had that vision, but I think it, it really illustrates in basic terms kind of the difference. I mean, if you even look at the ads between the PC yeah. guy and the Apple yeah. guy, you yeah. know, and, and the and the iconography they used around, you know, people like Muhammad Ali and, you know, and Einstein yeah. and everything else compared to the sort of nerdy, you know, um, PC guy, uh, it kind of speaks to this. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I think that does speak to the, um, you know, Steve, Steve Jobs did have other disciplines that he was he was poured a lot of time into and and i think that goes for a a lot of our innovators um there is this area of research inside of creativity that looks at um these people and individuals and and their lifestyle their their habits who become really talented and incredibly creative in different domains like science and music for instance um and and the the truth is that um, there's just so much possibility and opportunity when um, the these domains are allowed to 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 inhabit the same space, the same educational learning space, you know, so that students can think through uh, science using theater, for instance, or uh, play around with historical ideas and, 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 and stories of our past and of different cultures, um, using like music and sound and, and different. And I think it speaks to, you know, what Steve jobs was getting out there is like, we have a aesthetic, the aesthetics are really important to humans. It's one of the things that separates us, you know, from, uh, the rest of animal kingdom. (laughs) It's like this, you know, from what we know, you know, like we have this aesthetic taste that is absolutely consequential to how we make decisions, how we think, how we feel. Um, and you asked, what, how did I get into this? Well, it was definitely from my first entry into education. Actually, one of the first experiences I had of doing any youth development work was in Nicaragua with a um, orphanage that was almost like self-run by young people. There was like one abuelo and abuelita who like, were like, you know, were from Venezuela and, and were kind of like, helping to organize but these kids they came together because their families couldn't afford to feed them and they produced incredible performances for their community and since i worked with them this is back in like 2002 they really taught me i i like led them through through some capoeira uh movements and and kind of taught them a little bit about capoeira and they maybe they that incorporate some of that, but they, they put on what these, that is for people who don't know. Yeah, capoeira is an Afro-Brazilian martial art form. That's just this like in dance form. That's like a um, a real kind of beautiful uh, cultural artifact of of sla- of slavery, of like uh, resistance to slavery and of resistance to cultural oppression. Um, and it has grown out of all of these mixtures of different cultural um, aspects of Brazil and and the Afro-Brazilian um, history. And so there's, uh, anyway, this group is called La Escuela de la Comedia, so the School of Comedy. Um, they, were, they were so incredibly moving to me because they, they found joy, even though they were, you know, these were kids who, had, who were really on their own. I mean, and they were 
from 10 to 16, 17 years old, they formed such camaraderie and such tightness uh, as a family um, through their work in the arts and through their work in the arts that was for their community. And it grew to a place where they then, I think years after I was there, they they did their first tour through Europe. They raised money. They raised money for a whole school that they built. Um, you know, Nicaragua, you may know, is like our, the second poorest country in Western Hemisphere. Um, so this is a group that was like, because of their creative connection and their, their, their artistic um, investment that they were making with each other and themselves, um, they were flourishing even amongst those, you know, that kind of uh, challenging circumstance. So, you know, yes, we can do it inside of education in the United States, you know, like well, the constraints are so much less. Yeah. I mean, as a practical matter, I mean, what does this look like? Because I think when people hear the word creativity, it's a, a word can sometimes be a little intimidating and we don't know yeah. whether it's quite frankly yeah. innate you know, sort of the, the nature yeah. or the, the nurture, can creativity be taught? And, and what does that yeah. look like in the classroom? I mean, I know, for example, Great we uh, first started working uh, together on a project called ArtCore. And, and one of your, your early development uh, challenges, uh, and I, maybe not so much a challenge, but was to get the teachers to kind of free themselves up yeah. to realizing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so talk about yeah. that a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Boy, you know, it has been a huge learning process. Um, and of course, what we're doing is has been building off of the work of decades of work around integrating the arts across the curriculum, uh, decades of work on trying to understand um, what does creativity in education really mean? So there are different frameworks out there thinking about, you know, creative teaching versus teaching for creativity versus creative learning. Like that's one framework that does, does kind of help to kind of see the difference. Um, and what we, I won't overload us with like frameworks here, but one thing that we bring into the initial work of uh, developing a creative culture in a school and a creative culture in a classroom, and then a kind of creative mindset for teachers, a creative like a, a bias towards trying more creative things in the classroom the first step is to displace the mythologies that we carry about creativity because we all carry them. There's very, there's some strong cultural and societal messages that have informed how we carry ourselves as either creative individuals or as non-creative individuals. Um, and whether we can, we believe that creativity is this sort of trait like, you know, set of um, genes, you know, or, or whether, you know, or whether it's something that actually is more just human that we grow and we can, we can develop and cultivate. And, um, and for sure, there are talents and gifts that kind of make some people maybe more apt to be creative in some domains than others. But the general set of dispositions and skills are, that, that go into creativity, um, to making something creative, to, to, you know, and what does creativity really mean? Well, it's, it's something that's novel and at the same time also valued. And that's within a socio-cultural context because what might be valued in Oregon is maybe not going to be as valued in Florida or uh, Canada or um, Jamaica. You know, the, the, the value, the cultural and societal context is what actually defines creativity. And um, so what are the individual or group characteristics 
Well, it's like becoming more open, taking risks, being willing to, to, and you first have to believe that when you fail or make a mistake in trying something new and novel, that it's worth it. And that there might be some insight inside of that failure. And that's a very different disposition than being afraid and insecure and holding back. Um, and those individuals who hold more of a kind of fixed mindset about being either creative or not, you're either born creative or not, um, certainly are less likely to, to try something new. And when we think about why with teachers, we would go kind of unpack all these beliefs and these ideas. Uh, well, if they're modeling and messaging for students, and we know the power of modeling messaging, it's, it's, the, it's the primary way of learning, really, and teaching and learning, and yet really kind of often invisible. Well, they're setting the tone. So whether or not students are going to develop creatively through a year inside of a course or inside of a school is going to depend in large part on whether or not these opportunities are being offered these ways of being are being modeled. Um, and in large part, the research that I've done that's kind of document, like looked in the research for, you know, well, what opportunities do exist in, in, inside of education right now? And the, the uh, last 20 years of research has shown uh, very, very few opportunities generally are being offered. So, uh, which maybe attracts me to it, right? Because it means that there's it there's a lot of possibility and potential there. Um, and so, what does this look like? Uh, what we do in the Make Space project is is first offer some basic creative routines that develop different aspects of creative thinking. For instance, thinking divergently, and expansively, and flexibly, you can do through various routines um, by by thinking about. Um, how many different uses you could come up with for an object or coming up with stories about an object um, or um, looking at a, an image that is maybe really abstract and finding as many kind of narratives inside of that image. It's like trying to push yourself to, to really be flexible um, and that develops associative thinking as well. Uh, metaphorical thinking, huge one, because you're, you're thinking, you're crossing domains, you know, to kind of represent and, and explain something with something that's completely unrelated. Um, so these are all practices. You can you can just bring them in, and 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 then they evolve, and then they integrate into the content, and then they integrate into your social emotional learning curriculum. And um, yeah, and I wanted to touch on um, in the time we have left, just you know what we're finding out about how this plays into the work that the journalistic learning initiative does um, around writing and reflection and publishing. Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, maybe you could speak to kind of some of the things that we're discovering and some of the work that we're doing together. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, I'm I'm right in the middle of uh, writing up the results from this last pilot last spring um, with about a hundred about a hundred students or 80, 89 students or something like that, um, high school students, and you know the the skill set of writing is so. Um, underappreciated really in inside of k-12 and, and and then into into college too and um what we're finding inside of this uh research that's probably gone more in depth into the development of the skills around writing for for journalistic uh in a journalistic way um than any other study we've done yet and what we're finding is you know there are um 
so many moments that create these opportunities for students to take risks and try try something new um, while also being really critical about what they're looking at and developing the metacognition to actually really understand what kind of um, attitude they need to bring to the process. Uh, certainly if they're getting peer feedback on a revision, being really open, <laughs> not defensive, that takes metacognition to really say like, I, you know, I know this is a first draft and I know I have improvements to make. And, um, and then, you know, and it's scary. And then even thinking about the topics and like, um, you know, it's a really big ideational space to say, all right, what stories out there are worth writing about? What stories are important to me? Um, what am I curious about? Uh, I mean, I think the program is like designed to really tap into a lot of aspects of a student's creative potential and inside of a, of a discipline that is so important, being able to write, being able to like convey your thinking in a way that's compelling and beautiful and tell stories that are, are, um, you know, uh, kind of representing the human condition and the, and the issues that we're, we're dealing with. And, um, so it's sophisticated stuff. Like to do that is sophisticated. What we're what, you know, I just looked at this, uh, this quote from a student. Um, and it was, you know, it's really fascinating because it's like the, the experience in even just kind of like researching and thinking through this approach to writing was to this 12th grader was unlike any other experience they'd had, they'd had, you know, both in the research, the writing process, the interview completely new and talk about leaning into a new experience. I mean, really being able to take those risks. I think it's a, I think that this process has a lot of potential to, um, to really cultivate some of the, the aspects of creative attitudes, creative thinking, and inside of, like I said, a discipline that will serve students in every domain that they might go into um, mm -hmm. because writing is oh. so critical. Yeah. Yeah. Final question, uh, both being parents, uh, how can parents, because um, we have parents who listen to this podcast as well. How can yeah. They, can, how can they support their, their, their kids uh, in, uh, in developing a sense of, creativity and freedom uh, often when they, mm. you know, when, when they yeah. go to is what was your grade and, you know, <laughs> why aren't you doing better? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, so it's such a good question. I mean, I think the, the things that I think about as a parent, um, certainly after making lots of mistakes, uh, you know, what, one is to just try to be as reflective as you can be um, because our kids give us cues all the time, you know, whether it's body language uh, whether it's like not wanting to talk about something, you know, if there are areas, the fears and the, the, you know, the things that are scary for them to share or to go into, those are really important spaces. And I think that's as parents, if we can be really soft and tender around those and, and every student's different, every kiddo is different. Um, and then the, yeah, like the, I mean, just, um, acknowledging and valuing the areas of artistic and creative expression and development as much as we do the athletic achievements, the academic achievements, because um, what is happening inside of these creative and artistic areas is incredibly personal. And it's often, it's really vulnerable. And, and sometimes I think a lot of kids hide it from us as parents, they hide it. They don't, 
it's uh, and they'll hide it from other people too. Um, and and I think it's got to be a non-judgment space. You know, it's got to be an area where we're curious about it. Um, you know, I think a lot of this comes comes into like cultivating a love of music for students for young people. Well, like if you force kids into trying to practice or trying to to learn something, um, well, you've stripped all the autonomy away. You know. And maybe it's not time for that, you know, um, but then there's the question of, well, how do you develop the discipline? And I think it's where it's like, you know, young people um, help them set goals, you know? help them yeah. help them think about their habits. Don't tell them what habits to develop. Help them think about habits, help them um, see and reflect on when really good habits like create that joy of growth. And um, yeah, it's really hard. I think being so like, it comes down to like, I mean, this goes for teachers too. It's like pull out of needing, like kids don't necessarily need critique or want critique first. You know, they, they want you to be curious and then maybe they'll ask you for critique. Um, this, like my kids sometimes come to me with writing, like, will you help me edit this? You know? And when that happens, that is like a, I know that that's like precious because you know, that's, that's vulnerable. Um, and what we do with that vulnerability can either kind of crush and, and really, uh, like Ron Baghetto says, like mortification of your creativity. Um, like, and that's a sad thing, a, a sad kind of metaphor to kind of think about, but yes, like there are kids who into their adulthood, like there's a creative mortification that happens. And it's because often because of like harsh critique or some, um, you know, sometimes when we work with teachers, we find that teachers have these art scars that maybe have been living for like 10 years, 20 years, and they haven't touched a paper and pencil to draw for that long because of one thing that one person said, Whew, you know, so just being careful, mindful and careful that, um, you know, first and foremost, non-judgment and modeling. Like if we're doing creative things and we're practicing and we're sh being vulnerable, like that, uh, it's, it's modeling the right thing and um, maybe more powerful than anything else we do. Yeah. So Ross, where do people find you? Uh, uh, either Twitter or web or, and the creative yeah. engagement lab and its work. Yeah. Yeah. If you go to um, www.creativeengagementlab.com, uh, mm -hmm. we've just put up some new curriculum um, for integrating creativity into social, emotional and mental health inside the classroom. Um, and we've got a ton of research up there. We're updating all the time. Uh, go to makespaceproject.org. We've got a blog there um, that really talks about that project. Uh, if you're curious about taking any of those trainings, um, you can find us and email us through that. Um, and then you can find me. I, I'm on on the different medias a, a bit, but um, just look up Rossi Anderson uh, for the Twitter handle and uh, Instagram. And, um, yeah, and be and reach out. You know, if you have any interest or, or curiosities, reach out by email. Right. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us. Total pleasure. Thank you, Ed. How to Have Kids Love Learning is produced by the Journalistic Learning Initiative. For more information about our work, please visit journalisticlearning.com.